0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you
1: did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Ainsley Earhart. I'm Brett Baer. I'm Katie Pavlich, and this is the Fox News Rundown.
0: Wednesday, November 29th, 2023. I'm Dave Anthony. We bring you back to the border. Eagle Pass, Texas, where illegal immigration keeps surging.
1: There's a frustration here for the folks that live in this area and live in Texas because, I mean, there is trash everywhere. There's, it's a humanitarian crisis. It's an ecological crisis. Um, it's a business crisis. I'm Jessica
2: Rosenthal. Where are all of our representatives going? More than three dozen lawmakers are not running for re-election, and no, it is not all because of allegations of dysfunction.
3: It was really a family decision more than anything else, and you know, I intend to keep working when I leave here, and I'm going to keep working to defend truth, justice in the American way,
4: which is uh, what I grew up with watching Superman as a kid. And I'm Jason Rantz. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown.
0: It's been overshadowed lately by the war in Gaza, but illegal immigration is still surging. And it's still a big issue for Republicans in Congress. The single largest obstacle in the way of urgent
5: resources to help Israel, Ukraine and Taiwan is Democrats' refusal to address the crisis at the southern border.
0: Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, has GOP lawmakers demand more money for border security in any broader aid package, while migrants keep crossing the border, adding to a record amount apprehended last fiscal year, over 2.4 million. Just last week, around Tucson, Arizona, there were more than 15,000 illegal crossings, an all-time high Former Border Patrol chief in that sector, Victor Manieres Jr., tells Fox & Friends. I've never seen those in the last 35, 40 years. I don't think the Border Patrols have seen that in its existence. And so it's staggering. Uh, Unfortunately, what it does, it it, uh, forces
3: law enforcement to collapse our operations into a condensed area.
0: In Eagle Pass, Texas, the Border Patrol has closed a bridge for vehicle processing because of the surge there from Mexico. While a freight train with hundreds of migrants aboard riding on tops of boxcars... Seen headed that way. Obviously, it's because there's no
4: consequences by the federal government. They continue to incentivize and reward illegal immigration. That's why we continue seeing this influx. That's
0: Lieutenant Chris Oliveras with Texas Public Safety. He said that yesterday to Fox Business Network correspondent Madison Allworth, who's reporting from Eagle Pass.
1: You know, we've seen a lot. We've seen a lot of border crossings uh, across the Rio Grande. Um, we're talking hundreds that we've seen.
0: We caught up with Madison standing across from Mexico on the bank of the Rio Grande River.
1: We have the numbers. I know on Monday it was close to 2,200 apprehensions by Border Patrol here in just Eagle Pass. Um, And then standing witness to all of that, you see folks making their way, using ropes to get across, uh, testing out different depths of the river, going around the razor wire trying to find uh entrance points where they can get through there's a ton of discarded clothing and trash all along the river and uh you know we we got to the river tuesday morning at 5:30, and over the course of three hours we saw hundreds of people and it's cold especially by texas standards when we got out tuesday morning it was 40 degrees so the water you have to imagine is much colder than that yeah um and it's not Do they have coats the or, or all, not we got I'm-
0: uh, Madison, are they? Do they have proper clothing for all this, or are they not not prepared for that kind of weather?
1: No, it's definitely not prepared, and then there's not much you can do to prepare when you're going into cold water and your clothing is getting wet. Uh, There is, you do see some metallic blankets, similar to the ones that you might see at a marathon when people wrap themselves up afterwards to prevent hypothermia. Some are coming across with some of those types of blankets to wrap around themselves when they get out of the water, but going through that water and then getting out into the cold air, you can tell that the folks here are very cold.
0: All right, and you talked about apprehensions, but I know not everybody who's crossing is caught. And you did get a chance to deal with that very thing going with Texas State Patrol, right? On a ride along?
1: That's correct, Dave. Yeah. So the the numbers we talked about are Border Patrol um, and fiscal year 2024. We're at roughly 350,000 folks that have been have turned themselves over and have, are claiming asylum. That does not include the potential Godaways that are entering under the cover of nightfall, wearing camouflage, putting carpet on their shoes to not leave tracks, wearing masks, trying to be smuggled into the country. And we did get to do a ride along with Texas DPS, the state police, specifically their brush team. These are folks, this is teams that um, work with ranches and other remote areas where migrants are known to be smuggled in. Um, They use a combination of helicopters, uh, heat-seeking drones, and then really sophisticated technology and teams that go in and work to find these migrants. And we we did the ride along. You're also hearing an airboat right now, Texas Highway Patrol behind me there, constant patrols going on. But yeah, so we got to do this last night and uh, got to ride along with them, going into these ranches, climbing over fences, uh, chasing down these migrants that are very different than the asylum seekers. These are are folks that want to sneak into the country, do not intend to turn themselves over and are very much trying to get in without anyone noticing. And
0: you were right there jumping fences with the agents?
1: Yeah, we we had one group in particular, that was our second group of the night. Um, They were tracking them, they were lying low at one point because they heard the drone, and then once the drone started moving again, this group started moving and they moved towards a portion of the ranch that had a fence that they climbed, so we had to, in order to get to them, climb the very same fence. Um, And then once we were on the other side, the officers had their night vision goggles and we started taking off. No lights can be shown because you don't want to give up your position. So we're running through these ranches, which are filled with thickets and bramble and trees um, until you eventually get to the spot. And it's a combination of the drone talking into the radio of the officer's ear, telling them, go left, go right, until they eventually get you know on top of where these migrants are. We didn't have any um, active runners. They were running while we were getting to them. But by the time we got to these different groups, they had stopped because at a certain point, you get tired because it's it's a lot and they're that's after they were smuggled across the river
0: yeah now again this is with the state so what are they charged with when they're apprehended
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Dave, because, of course, when it comes to um, those that are crossing, for example, the Rio Grande that then come in uh, contact with Border Patrol, they claim asylum, they're processed um, and then eventually released. The difference here with Texas DPS is that because they are on private ranch land, they have permission from the owners to be on that land. And then as a result, these folks that are found there are arrested for criminal trespass, which is a state crime, um, and they're then put through the court system because of that. So it's because it's on private land, Texas DPS has permission, um, and the charge is criminal trespass. And um, for some of them, it's just criminal trespass. For others, it will also be, you know, if they have weapons, things like that, there could be further charges. One of the uh, migrants that we came in contact last night did have a a knife on him, was armed.
0: Okay. Now, is there friction? When you talk to these officers from the state, is there friction with what U.S. Border Patrol is doing?
1: I wouldn't say there's so much as friction as there is uh, competing directives. There's stuff that the federal government can do, there's stuff that the state can do. Um, the state is definitely, there's a frustration here for the folks that live in this area and live in Texas because, I mean, there is trash everywhere. There's It's a humanitarian crisis, it's an ecological crisis, um, it's a business crisis, and they're, they're all forced to deal with what is a federal problem. And so Texas has found unique ways like with the creation of these brush teams and going on private land to kind of address the problem because there's so much that the federal government can do and only so much that the state government can do.
0: Now, Madison, you have seen this now up close in two different ways. You've seen this with the actual border crossings and people coming into the US, and you've also been in New York City where there's a housing crisis for these migrants who've ended up in cities in the north must be interesting to see it from both perspectives
1: yeah i mean i i'm very grateful for the opportunity to come down here and to report from the border because this is the origin of for these migrants of their u.s journey um you know obviously i'm not in mexico but i'm seeing them cross from mexico what they go through to get across the river through the um, razor wire and then the processing that happens here so it is um you know incredibly important to understand what's happening here because then that does spill into the rest of the country. And, and the one thing that's interesting, even though there's such a cost on this area and, and all the ways that I mentioned, um, as soon as these people are processed, they try to move on to those asylum cities because they, they want the resources that are offered to them there. So um, it is a full picture from the border to New York. A
0: lot of these migrants who've crossed the border have wound up in cities far away like Chicago and Washington and New York, where more than 125,000 have shown up since the spring of last year. And Mayor Eric Adams said again yesterday
4: This is just not sustainable. And so now the winter months are coming. Uh, You know, we're really concerned about people being in inclement weather, but this is the reality that we're facing as a city.
0: It's also prompted the mayor to make big budget cuts because of the billions of dollars the migrant crisis is costing the city. And Adams is accusing the federal government of abandoning New York, saying he tells people yelling at him about the migrant crisis to yell at D.C. instead. And Madison Allworth has also recently reported from shelters in New York.
1: There was a time where this type of migration was welcomed, but it's now gotten to a point where, you know, the mayor has gone so far as to say this will destroy New York City. Uh, The reality is, um, you know, New York is still only seeing a fraction of what Texas and the border towns see, but they in many ways are unprepared because, yes, almost every month a new shelter opens and they've gone from hotel rooms to converted police academies to converted schools to um, open fields that have tent cities um, being built on them. They're really trying to put migrants anywhere they can. But just like the encounters here with Border Patrol, the folks know that if they cross and they come across Border Patrol and they claim asylum, they're processed and released into the U.S. And New York can say all it wants, you know, don't come. We've run out of space. But the reality is, while it's a sanctuary city, anyone can come, uh, claim sanctuary, and receive the resources that New York has promised them.
0: Yeah, and it's costing a lot of money from from a large zoomed out perspective. Congress has done and crunched some of the numbers on this. It's staggering how much the price tag has gotten up to.
1: You know, it really is. We have a new report from the U.S. House Committee on Homeland Security Majority. That report shows that the annual cost of the migrant crisis is $451 billion. And so you, you know, that's, that's a shocking number. And then add to that, the fact that this is a problem, it's not getting better. It's getting worse. Something that I think is really fascinating. We've spent quite some time with Lieutenant Chris Olivares with the Texas DPS. He says this time of year, crossings tend to slow down because of the weather it's getting colder in the air, in the river. Uh, they would see a slowdown. They're, they're not really seeing that this year. They're still averaging here in Eagle pass, around 2,000 crossings a day, and that's holding up. On Monday, we saw 2,000, just under 2,200 crossings, um, and that's not a number you normally see this time of year because of the weather, but he says there's not that's not a deterrent anymore.
0: You have a front-row seat to all this right now in Eagle Pass, Texas. Madison Allworth, Fox Business Correspondent. Great to talk to you. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me, Dave.
5: Precise, personal, powerful is America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Did you hear the news? Now you can with instant updates from Fox News for Amazon Alexa. Just say
1: Alexa,
4: play news from Fox in Fox News.
5: It's the latest when you need it on demand from Fox News and Amazon Alexa.
4: This is Jason Rance with your Fox News commentary coming up. A growing number of lawmakers are jumping
2: ship, many announcing retirement or that they're running for another office.
4: I've made one of the
3: toughest decisions of my life and decided that I will not be running for re-election to the United States Senate. But what I will be doing is traveling the country and speaking out to see if there is an interest in creating a movement to mobilize the middle and bring Americans together.
2: Six senators, including West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, are leaving, and 32 members of the House, including Michigan Congressman Dan Kildee, a Democrat who just won a tough midterm race a year ago.
5: Hi, it's Dan Kildee, and I want to tell you directly I have decided to not seek re-election and I'll leave Congress at the end of my term on January 3rd 2025.
2: He told The New York Times this session has been the most unsatisfying period in his time in Congress because of the absolute chaos and the lack of any serious commitment to effective governance. But some are running for a different office, mostly Democrats. Alyssa Slotkin is running for Senate in Michigan. Andy Kim is running for Senate in New Jersey. And three Democrats are running for the seat left vacant after the death of Senator Dianne Feinstein. For others, it's not chaos or another office.
3: When we finished the term, it would have been 12 years. I didn't know how long I was going to do this to begin with.
2: Ohio Republican Congressman Brad Wenstrup is a doctor and Iraq war veteran, and he's retiring from Congress.
3: When I first ran, uh, it was my fourth date with my wife when I said that I may run for Congress. <laughs> and she said, well, OK, doctor, um, if that's what you feel compelled to do, then then you should. Um, we am getting married, and and uh, shortly thereafter had our son, and then have our daughter. So my kids are ten and six. So it wasn't something I planned to do for a long, long time. Actually, I probably was there longer uh, than I thought I would be. Um, okay. And it's, it's primarily because because of family. And yeah, I've always felt a sense of duty. I think it's what part of why I wanted to become a doctor. I that um, was it's been a great profession and then a doctor soldier and deployed to iraq another call to service and after that uh, i was giving talks on leadership and service and people in my community said you ought to run for office so that's that's how i got here to begin with and uh, and certainly i have stayed longer than i thought but that's because i was enjoying it and i still do but it was it was time to come home my wife and i really had made the decision and we announced on my son's birthday And if you saw my video announcement that they're all in it and there's a that gives you another reason why it's time to spend more time at home.
2: Okay, so these articles out there saying, you know, it's Republican dysfunction is to blame for all these people wanting to retire. Um, I mean, it has been a heck of a year, right? Two speaker votes that took days uh, close to government shutdowns. But for you, it sounds like you would be willing to stay on. It's it's different. Or was that part of your decision?
3: That wasn't um, I mean that was definitely historic uh, to see what was taking place as far as with the, with the speaker election and um, controversies but you know the place has always been fraught with controversy um, it's our founders made it difficult for a reason and, and it is difficult and democracy is messy but I'm glad to live in a country where we get to elect our leaders. And governing free people is not as easy as, uh, as being a dictator, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, so that Do wasn't fun. Other- it, but that, right.
2: <laughs> I would imagine. But do, do you think uh, others are leaving for certain reasons that are maybe because it's less fun? I mean, there's just a quote from Congressman Earl Blumenauer that the, the politics of it isn't fun. But have you talked with other members like Dan Kildy of Michigan, Ken Buck of Colorado? Um, not to necessarily speak for them, but are you gleaning anything from why so many are leaving Congress right now?
3: Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because uh, Dan Kildy came in with me and we are on Ways and Means committee together and 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 we're friends. And I, I would say for the last several years, uh as you um see some of the things that take place, it it wasn't the same as when we got here. And 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 I think he and I and Derek Kilmer, another Democrat, I think we could probably say, you know, some of our friends have been defeated and and aren't here anymore. Jackie Walorski was a close friend of mine and and she died. And so, you know, it becomes a little bit different place than, than you were used to. And so that may have something to do uh, with it because it's kind of like uh, going back to your high school or college a couple of years after you graduate and it's not quite the same. So, um, and, and I felt that somewhat, uh, but not that that had any part to do with our decision. It was really a family decision more than anything else. And, you know, I intend to keep working when I leave here and, uh, as I have said in the video I put out, I'm going to keep working to defend truth, justice in the American way, which is uh, what I grew up with watching Superman as a kid.
2: <laughs> does that mean being going back into practice or does that mean what is are you going to become a lobbyist?
3: Uh, that is not in the plans. No, <laughs> uh, I don't know what I'm going to do, and I may practice a little bit. That is uh, definitely it. But I think there should, should be opportunities to engage in some things involving national security and, and health, two things that I've uh, been very much involved uh, since I've been here and throughout my life.
2: You're on the, the coronavirus task force. We mm-hmm. we watched some of those hearings that you chaired. You do have the you do bring the medical mind and the military mind, right? So, it, but. Do you feel like your work is done on that committee? It feels like, historically speaking, we still have a lot of unanswered questions, Are, or do you, do you feel like you're maybe not getting where you wanted to, to be on that issue? Or where? How, how do you feel leaving that part of the job?
3: Well, that committee is only for, that subcommittee is only for two years. And so, yeah, we do have more work to do. And I would say that on some of the parts of this, Uh, I have been and still continue to do on the Intelligence Committee, which is why I think the speaker wanted me to stay on The Intelligence Committee is because when when COVID hit, I got very much involved with uh, discovering, uh, trying to discover the origins of COVID. But but not only that, I was involved with trying to figure this out medically. What was going on with Operation Warp Speed? uh, How do we treat this problem? How do we test for it? How do we diagnose? And and so that all fits in with uh, what we're trying to do with the subcommittee. Uh, which is to do better the next time and so that we can be better prepared and maybe even predict the next uh, pandemic. And uh, but I think as much as anything else is part of this is we want to find ways that we can restore the public's trust in our public health system. And I think there are some things there that uh, will come out that if we make some changes, uh, we can do better as a country.
2: Okay, a few more for you. And because you're leaving, you get to speak more freely, right? So, (laughs) is part of anyone's calculation um, in in your mind, and and this might just be anecdotal from just talking to your fellow members, uh, Uh, is any part of anyone's calculation about leaving any anticipation about how it might feel if former President Trump is the nominee again and quite possibly if he's elected again?
3: Yeah, I haven't heard that from anybody uh, at all. Um, Matter of fact, from the people that are leaving, Uh, from both sides of the aisle, uh, the conversation has been, what can we get done in these last uh, 13 months?
2: Okay, and if there was any dysfunction, right, that some of these articles are referencing about why people are leaving, if there was any of this dysfunction, it, it seemed to have come from members who said, we want to focus on reducing spending. And if you don't focus on that, then we can't vote for measures to avoid a government shutdown, right? And they were blamed for holding everything hostage. Right? That was the, what the White House said. They were holding it hostage. So, but their, their concern was this debt. I think we're close to $34 trillion. Yeah. If, if, it, if, the, if, what, if the way they did it is not the way to do it, if, if withholding votes on spending to avoid a government shutdown isn't the way to address the debt, then what is in your mind?
3: If I look at the many things that we've been able to accomplish here within our office in Congress, it it, it goes to something uh, that I said when I first got elected, I said, I'm going to have my own pack. And that's to try to be persuasive, articulate and convincing, because if you if you have a good idea and reducing the debt is definitely one of them, and we've got to do this. Um, you've got to be persuasive as to how and why we do it. Unfortunately, politics gets in the way too often because uh, I can remember, you know, when you try just to reform and save a program, like Social Security, you know, and you're trying to kill your grandmother. That becomes the political cry. So those, those are the challenges that are out there. But we have to do this, and, and, and we have to do this together. And unless we have the House, the Senate, and the White House, you have to find ways to persuade others that it's the best thing to do for the country. And um, rather than just uh, saying, well, I can't vote for that, well, I understand that. Um, and you don't have to vote for certain things, but to get what you want, you're going to have to try and rein your colleagues in. And I think that there needs to be more of that done by a lot of people here that it's, it's not just say what you're against and things you'll never do. Uh, but how do you turn the tide? And that, that means working with your colleagues and sometimes across the aisle. Um, I want to get appropriations done. I don't like CRs. I don't like them at all. I want us to do our work. I want us to run like a business and get our work done and do it on time. But I look at Mike Johnson taking over a speaker. Well, he's faced with a battlefield that's that's in front of him. And uh, I think what we just did, for example, with the CRs is to uh, lay down a bunt, if you will, to advance the runner. Uh, We had to lay down the bunt so that we can continue to work on appropriations and appropriations that, that should have a conservative bent to it in the House. And um, and I think that that's what we have been doing as we do get through appropriations, but we've got to do it together.
2: And finally, on that Social Security front, you know, we spoke to somebody with the Committee for Responsible Federal Budget. And he said, you can't you cannot seriously talk about this debt without talking about entitlement reform, Social Security, Medicare. I know it's sensitive. Like you just said, you get accused of killing grandma. But for those of us in our 30s and 40s. I mean yep. we you know we want somebody to just be honest with us um you know should we prepare for like a different kind of safety net is anybody going to address this and not be so afraid about losing the votes and just tell us what we need to prepare for if these if these are going insolvent
3: Well you know I'm on well, Republican Study Committee and been on the executive committee and I and several members there have said if if reforming these programs so that they can continue to exist for the next generation like you if that means it cost me my job then it was worth it because it's something that the next generation can thank us for and you know it's just like insurance you have to be, look at things from an actuarial standpoint and you have to decide you know how we're going to save this i mean to be honest with you you know when you look at something uh, like social security you know it's your children that are paying for you you know and if you look at numbers If we have 1.8 children per family, that's not going to be enough. Uh, for them to cover down for their parents, because that's really how this was all set up, is the next generation is paying forward for the current generation. uh, And so it's supposed to be passed on like that. And we got to just face some of those realities and make adjustments so that we can save these programs. We have to be honest with where things are headed and why we might have to make some changes if we're going to keep it alive for the next generation like you
2: outgoing congressman brad wenstrup thank you so much for joining
3: us pleasure thank you
5: In other news,
2: I'm Gianna Gelosi. In a year of deep fakes and AI, Merriam-Webster has announced its word of the year, and it's authentic. The dictionary company saying authenticity is a desirable quality, but it's hard to define and subject to debate. But notes, when we question authenticity, we value it even more. Use of the word was driven by artificial intelligence, which, of course, blurs the line between real and fake. Merriam-Webster even crediting Taylor Swift with playing a role, making headlines and statements statements about seeking her authentic voice and authentic self. Other top searched words this year include riz, which is slang for romantic appeal or charm, dystopian, and egot, which refers to winning an Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and a Tony Award. Last year's word of the year was gaslighting. It's a form of psychological manipulation to confuse or cause self-doubt in a victim. For the Fox News Rundown, I'm Gianna Gelosi.
1: chair and join me rachel campos duffy
4: and me
3: former u.s congressman sean duffy as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across america
5: download from the kitchen table the duffy's at Foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts subscribe to this podcast at Foxnewspodcasts.com.
4: it's time for your fox news commentary jason Rance. What's on your mind? Mayors of America's biggest Democrat-controlled cities are among those jonesing for tax dollars to tackle a drug crisis they helped to create. Many of these mayors pursued radical policies that only fueled the epidemic. In a letter from 37 mayors, including those of Seattle, Portland, Philadelphia, and San Francisco, members of Congress are implored to approve President Biden's supplemental budget request. Their plea is mostly lifted from the White House press releases, arguing that $1.5 billion in grant funding to localities through the Department of Health and Human Services' state opioid response allows them to effectively tackle a drug crisis fueled primarily by fentanyl flowing through the president's porous southern border. On paper, the funding seems noble. It's earmarked to expand access to recovery support services. But much of what the left pushes sounds better than the reality. As I expose in my new book, What's Killing America? Inside the Radical Left's Tragic Destruction of Our Cities, progressive proposals are often a facade. When you know how to decode their buzzwords, you can better understand and neutralize their destructive policies. The funding would bolster harm reduction strategies, which the radical left dresses up as evidence-based. It often does little more than enable addicts, distributing drug paraphernalia like fentanyl pipes, clean needles, and so-called booty bumping kits under the guise of reducing harm. The efficacy of these measures is dubious at best. Take Seattle, where officials suggest offering smoking supplies could open treatment doors, a claim they can't support. Neither Seattle nor Portland has shown interest in ending addiction. Seattle defunded the police, passing policies and legislation barring police from enforcing drug laws. The city hit record-high fatal overdoses along the way. Meanwhile, voters in Portland, fooled by a clever pitch, legalized drugs under the guise of treatment, only to see overdoses skyrocket. Nonprofits have squandered taxpayer dollars, forcing the Oregon Health Authority to cancel grant funding and demand it be returned. Will these Democrat mayors actually put federal funds to good use? Their continued endorsement of harm reduction initiatives hardly inspires confidence. Take Philadelphia's Mayor Jim Kenney. He pushed for safe consumption sites in 2018, a misleading term for locations where addicts shoot up under medical supervision. Framed as a life-saving move, they're anything but. Their focus on enabling addicts means little time spent on treatment. Meanwhile, addiction soared, with the city seeing more than 1,400 overdose deaths in 2022 alone. San Francisco's response? Let nonprofits distribute drug smoking kits, with little effort to encourage quitting. The results of handing out pipes, straws, tinfoil, and other tools to smoke fentanyl? A spiraling homelessness crisis and a ghost town downtown with a record high 33.9% office vacancy rate. While the federal government should contribute to cities grappling with drugs flooding the streets from our poorest border, there's a pressing need for accountability and effective use of funds. Blindly pouring money into harm reduction strategies is a bottomless pit that will lead to a vicious cycle of dependency on federal aid without resolving the underlying issues. The money will be spent on harm reduction tools. Addiction will worsen. The cities will beg for even more money, and the Biden administration will cough it up. It will never end. Democrat-led cities face a stark choice cling to their failing harm reduction tactics, or pivot to strategies that actually work, even if it clashes with their progressive dogma. While they've tried to correct their police defunding measures, they remain recalcitrant on harm reduction. Given their stubborn track record, taxpayers should think twice before granting them unlimited do-overs. The focus should be on directing funds toward treatment centers and other proven methods that thoughtfully utilize the criminal justice system to tackle criminal addicts. Cities that have already done this should be prioritized for funding. The time for relentless harm reduction strategies is over. It's time for real change, real accountability, and real treatment.
5: You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com.